Side four, Chapter eighteen. Nobody knows where to look. Let's go," said George. "We can't find out any more from the poor old woman. I'm glad that son of hers has been arrested for thieving. At least he won't be here to knock her about any more." Mr. Gringle began to talk angrily again, but the five had had enough. Timmy growled and made him retreat. "We're going, Mr. Gringle," said Julian coldly. "We shall be very glad to see the police, if you have really sent them after us. Quite a lot has been going on here that you don't know anything about. You've noticed nothing but your butterflies and moths. Anything wrong in that, you uncivil boy?" shouted Mr. Gringle. "Well, it would have been a good thing if you had noticed how that fellow James knocked his poor mother about," said Julian. I suppose you haven't even seen the bruised black eye she has this morning. No, I thought not. Well, maybe the police will be asking you a few questions soon about the four strangers that have been hiding in that little bedroom up there. What? What's that you say? What do you mean? Stammered Mr. Gringle, astonished. Men? Where from? Who? I've no idea," said Julian. "I wish I had." And then the five walked off together, leaving a very puzzled and worried Mr. Gringle behind them. "It serves him right," said Julian, "to think that he could make that miserable little woman slave for him, and never even noticed how frightened and unhappy she was, or even see that she had a black eye from that scoundrel of a son. Let him get back to his butterflies." What did Mrs. James mean, mumbling about men hidden in that room? Four of them, she said. Wondered Anne. And why did they go and watch on the hillside? What for? That must have been one of them you saw that night at the storm, Julian, the one you spotted with the butterfly net, who said he was Mr. Brent. I suppose he pretended to be him, so that nobody would ask him while he was prowling out there. Yes, you're right," said Julian. Of course, they may have been watching the airfield. You know. Yes. Of course, that's what they were doing. Why didn't I think of that before? They were watching it night and day, two by day, I suppose, and two by night, and paid James to keep them hidden in that room. What were they up to? Julian, could it, could it possibly be anything to do with the stolen aeroplanes? Asked George with sudden excitement in her voice. It might. It certainly might," said Julian, "but I don't know how it ties up with Jeff Thomas and Ray Wells flying them away. That doesn't seem to fit somehow. You know, I do really believe we are onto something here. Let's go down to Billycock Farm and see if Mr. Thomas, Toby's father, is about. I think we ought to tell him all we know. Yes, that's a fine idea," said Anne, pleased. "We do want a bit of help over this now. Well, come on then." Said Julian, and off they went at top speed down the hill, taking the path to Billycock Farm. They soon came to the farmyard and called Toby. Toby, where are you? We've got a bit of news. Toby appeared at the barn door, looking rather pale, for he had had a bad night. Oh, hello. What news? The only news I want to hear is about Jeff. I can't get it out of my mind. Where's your father? Asked Julian, "We think he ought to hear what we've got to say. He'll know what to do. I'm afraid we don't. It's a puzzle we can't seem to fit together." "I'll call Dad," said Toby at once, and sent a shout over the field where red and white cows were grazing. "Dad, Dad, you're wanted!" His father came hurrying over the field. "What is it? I'm busy." "Dad." Julian and Dick have got something to tell you," said Toby. "It won't take very long, but they're a bit worried." "No,、oh. well, what is it, lads?" said Mr. Thomas, turning his kindly brown face to the boys. "Got into any trouble?" "Oh, no, not exactly," said Julian. "I'll tell you as shortly as I can." And he began to tell him the tale of the butterfly farm, and of the man he had seen at night on the hill, of the old woman at the butterfly farm. And of Will Jane's, who treated her so badly, the farmer nodded at that. Aye, 
he said. Will's changed this last year. Got into bad company, of course. We've met some of the bad company, said Julian, and told of their adventure the night before, and then ended by telling Mr. Thomas what the old woman had said to them that morning. Now what has Will Jane's been up to? said the farmer. Bad enough to get into ill company, but worse to ill-treat his poor old mother. He'll have to say who these men are that he's been harbouring up there at the Butterfly Farm, and why they go out at night, watching the airfield, as you say, I don't doubt. Why, maybe they've even had a hand in the stealing of those planes. Toby became very excited at this, and his face grew crimson. Dad, maybe it was those men who took the planes. There were four, weren't there? They would be strong enough to capture Jeff and Ray and take them off somewhere, and then two of them could fly off the planes, and the other two watch poor Jeff and Ray wherever they are. You know, you may be right, young Toby, said his father. This is a matter for the police, and at once, too. They must get on to Will and get everything out of him, make him confess. If Jeff and Ray are held prisoner anywhere, they must be freed. Toby was dancing round in excitement. I knew it wasn't Jeff. I knew he couldn't do a thing like that. I'm sure it was two of those men. Dad, get on to the police at once. Mr. Thomas hurried indoors to the telephone and was soon telling the police all he knew. They listened in astonishment and at once saw the tremendous importance of the information the children had given. We'll question Will Janes at once, they said. He's held on a matter of thieving, so we've got him under our thumb. We'll call you back in about half an hour. That half hour was the very longest the children had ever known. Julian looked at his watch a score of times, and nobody could sit still, least of all Toby. Anne was fidgety and thought she would play with Benny. But neither Benny nor the pigling was there, so she had to wait in patience. When the telephone bell at last shrilled out, everyone jumped violently. Mr. Thomas ran to it. Yes, yes. That's the police speaking, is it? Yes, I'm listening. What's the news? Oh, yes, yes. The farmer held the telephone close to his ear, nodding as he listened intently. The children watched him just as intently, trying to glean something from his few words and from his face. I see. Well, that's very disappointing, they heard Mr. Thomas say, and their hearts sank. Thank you. Yes, very worrying indeed. Goodbye. He put down the receiver and faced the children. Toby called out to him. Was it Jeff who stole the plane, Dad? Was it? No, said his father, and Toby gave a wild yell of joy and leapt into the air. Then nothing else matters, he cried. Oh, I knew it wasn't Jeff. Wait a minute, wait a minute, said Mr. Thomas. There's something very worrying. What, said Toby, startled. Will James has confessed that those four men were sent to steal those two planes, he said. Two of them were first-class pilots. Foreign, of course. The other two were thugs, bullies, sent to capture Jeff and Ray that night in the storm. They knocked them out and dragged them away from the airfield and hid them somewhere. Then the pilots got out the two planes and flew away. When the alarm was raised, it was too late. So, when the planes crashed into the sea, it was the foreign pilots who were drowned, not Jeff and Ray, said Julian. Yes. Here's the worrying part. The other two men, the ones who captured Jeff and Ray, have hidden them away, but didn't tell James where, said Mr. Thomas. They refused to pay him any money for his help, because the planes had crashed and their plans had failed, and they also refused to tell him where Jeff and Ray were hidden. And now I suppose the two thugs have left the district, made their escape, and left Jeff and Ray to starve in some place where they may never be found, said Toby, sitting down heavily and looking suddenly subdued. Exactly, said Mr. Thomas, and unless we find out where they are pretty quickly, things will go hard with them. They're probably bound hand and foot, 
and are dependent on the two bullies for food and water. Once the men are gone, there is no one to bring them anything. Oh, I say, said Toby, horrified. Dad, we must find them. We must. That's what the police think, said his father, and what I think too. But nobody knows where to look. Nobody knows where to look. The words repeated themselves in everyone's mind. Nobody knows where to look. Chapter Nineteen: A Morning of Work. There was a dead silence after Mr. Thomas had said those despairing words. Nobody knows where to look. Where were Jeff and Ray lying, worried and anxious, knowing their planes to be stolen, picturing them in the hands of an alien country, being dismantled to discover the new and secret devices built into them? They must be absolutely furious to think how easily it was all done," said Dick, taken by surprise like that. Surely there must be someone on the airfield who was in the secret. Bound to be," said Mr. Thomas. These things are carefully planned to the very last detail, and of course, it was a bit of luck for the men to have a storm going on just at the time when they needed something to make their getaway unseen and unheard. Unheard, that is, until the planes were actually up in the air, and then it didn't matter. Yes, the rain poured down that night," said George, remembering. Nobody would be out in it. Even the guards on the airfield would be under shelter somewhere. It was a bit of luck for those fellows. I expect they were delighted to look out of the tiny little window at the cottage and see a storm blowing up on the very night they wanted one," said Dick. It beats me how Mr. Gringle and Mr. Brent never heard or suspected anything, with four strange men hanging about the butterfly farm," said Julian. There can't be anything in their heads but butterflies or moths," said Toby. "I bet the police will have something to say to them." The thing is, what's to be done now?" said Julian, frowning. He turned to Mr. Thomas, who was deep in thought. "What do you think? Is there anything we can do?" "I doubt it," said Mr. Thomas. "The police have had reports of two men driving a closed van at a fast speed." The number was taken by two or three people who complained, and they think that it might have been the one used to transport Jeff and Ray to some distant hiding place, somewhere in a disused quarry or in some deserted cellar, likely places of that sort. Everyone groaned. There certainly was absolutely nothing they could do then. It would be impossible to hunt for miles for old quarries or other hiding places. Well, I must get on with my work. Said Mr. Thomas, "Where's your mother, Toby? You'd better tell her about all this." She's gone shopping," said Toby, looking at the clock. "She'll be back just before dinner time." "I suppose Benny has gone with her," said Mr. Thomas, going to the door. "Where's Curly, his pigling? Surely he hasn't taken him too." "I expect he has," said Toby. He looked at the other four children, suddenly remembering something. "I say." Aren't you a bit short of food up at the camp? Shall I get you some to take back with you? Well, if it isn't a bore," said Julian apologetically. It seemed rather dreadful to think about food, when probably Jeff and Ray were lying tied up somewhere, hungry and thirsty, with no chance of food of any sort. I'll get some. You come with me, Anne, and say what you want," said Toby. And he and Anne went off together to the kitchen, and opened the door of the immense larder. Soon Anne was choosing what she wanted, trying to cheer up poor downcast Toby at the same time. Can we stay and help you this morning, Toby? Asked Julian when he and Anne came back. He knew that Toby had many jobs to do on the farm, although it was a holiday week, and he thought too that it would be good for the boy to have company that worrying morning. Yes, I'd like you to," said Toby, brightening at once. I told Dad I'd lime wash the hen houses today. It's just the kind of day for that, nice and dry with a little breeze. You and Dick could help, and we'd get them all done by dinner time. Right, we'll help you all morning. Then we'll go back to our camp and have a picnic lunch," said Julian. "If you've finished all the jobs you have to do, you could come back with us, and we could go on a hike or something this afternoon."
Oh yes," said Toby, cheering up considerably. "Come on then, we'll get the lime and find the brushes. Hey, Binky, come and help us, and you too, Timmy." Wait a minute, can't we help? said George. I can lime wash hen houses as well as anyone. Oh no, George, it's a messy job, a job for boys, not girls," said Toby, and went off with Dick and Julian, leaving George looking furious. Now you've offended George," said Dick, grinning. Toby was genuinely surprised. "Have I really?" he said. "Oh, of course. I forgot she doesn't like to be girlish." Half a minute, he ran back to the window of the sitting room and called through it. "Hi, George. What about doing a job for my mother? She never has time to weed her flower garden, and she is always upset because it's so untidy. I suppose you and Anne couldn't do something about that." Yes, of course," called Anne, going out of the door. "Let's find a trowel each and something to put the weeds in." George, don't look so gloomy. Let's weed the whole bed and make it marvelous for Mrs. Thomas. She's so kind and generous. I'd like to do something for her. All right, so would I," said George more graciously, and went with her cousin into the garden. I wish little Benny was at home," said Anne, as she and George began their task a few minutes later, complete with trowels and two old tin pails for the weeds. "I'd like him running round us, asking questions in that dear little high voice of his, and Curly, his pigling, running about like a funny little pig puppy." <laughs> "Yes, I like Benny too," said George, pulling up a handful of weeds. "My word, there are more weeds than flowers in this bed." Let's take Benny up to the camp with us this afternoon if Toby comes," said Anne. "Then Toby can take him back with him when he goes. I love little Benny. I could look after him while you and the boys go hiking this afternoon." "All right," said George, torn between wanting to stay with Anne and little Benny and his pig, and going with the boys. "Help! I've been stung by a most vicious nettle." All the children worked hard that morning. The hen houses had been scrubbed down and well and truly lime washed. Now they were drying quickly, the doors flung open to sun and wind. The girls had practically cleared the big flower bed of weeds and were feeling rather pleased with it and with themselves too. There came the sound of a car at about a quarter to one. That must be Mrs. Thomas coming back from her shopping," said George. "Quick, let's finish this bed before she sees us." We've only about ten minutes more work. Benny will soon come running to see what we're doing," said Anne, "and little Curly too. My word, I've just filled my ninth pail of weeds." The three boys came by just then, swinging their empty pails and carrying their big brushes. Timmy came too, with quite a few white patches on his coat. "Hello, girls," said Dick. "My word." You've done a fine job on that bed. You can actually see the flowers now. The girls sat back, pleased. Yes, it looks a bit better," said Anne, pushing back her hair. "Your mother's home, I think, Toby. We'd better go now because you'll soon be having your dinner, and we'll be as hungry as hunters by the time we get back to our camp." "Right," said Toby. "Here, I'll take those pails of weeds for you and the trowels." "Oh, thanks," said George. "Dick." Anne and I will go off to the camp now with Timmy and take the salad and stuff that wants washing under the spring. You bring the rest of the food, will you? Of course," said Dick. "You take one basket and we'll take the other." They went off with Toby. Anne and George went to look for Mrs. Thomas, but she had gone into the dairy and was not to be seen. "Never mind, she'll be busy," said Anne. "We'll go off straight away and get our lunch ready." They went off to the farm gate and up the path onto the steep slopes of Billycock Hill. The basket between them. Soon they were out of sight. The boys washed their hands under a pump in the yard. Toby had gone to see his mother and to tell her what the police had said, but his father had already told her. She was very worried indeed. Poor Jeff, poor Ray, she said. Then she looked round as she heard the footsteps of Dick and Julian. Oh," she said. "I thought it was Benny. Where is he?" "Benny? Well, he was with you, wasn't he?" said Toby. 
You didn't leave him in the car, did you? What do you mean, Toby? said Mrs. Thomas, looking startled. I left Benny here at the farm. I didn't take him with me. I never do when I have a lot of shopping. He gets so bored. But, Mother, I haven't seen him all morning, said Toby. He's not at the farm. I've not seen him for hours. Oh, Toby, said his mother, looking frightened. Toby, what's happened to him then? I thought you'd look after him as you usually do. And I thought he'd gone with you, groaned Toby. Dick, Julian, have you seen Benny or Curly? No, we haven't set eyes on him this morning, said Dick. Gosh, where's he got to? He may have gone up Billycock Hill to try and find our camp. I know he wanted to. Toby, the horse pond, said Mrs. Thomas, looking pale. Go there. He may have fallen in. Look in the loft of the barn, too, and go into the machinery shed. Oh, Benny, Benny, where are you? She turned to Dick and Julian, standing anxiously beside her. Go up to your camp, she said. Hunt and call all the way. He may be lost on the hillside. My little Benny. Perhaps his pigling runned away again, as he so often tells us, and he followed and got lost. Oh, dear, whatever shall I do? Chapter 20 A Peculiar Message Toby raced off to the horse pond, very frightened. The pond was deep in the middle, and Benny couldn't swim. Dick and Julian went off hurriedly through the farm gate and up to Billycock Hill, calling as they went, Benny! Benny! Where are you? Benny! They toiled up the steep, heathery slopes, looking for any sign of the small boy, but there was none. They were both anxious. Benny was such a little wanderer, and his pig made such a good excuse for going long distances. Benny! Benny! they called, and sometimes the echo came back to them, calling the name too. Perhaps he will be at the camp, said Dick. I know he wanted to visit it. He may be there, the little monkey, with Curly too. I hope so said Julian soberly, but it's a long way for his small legs to go. I don't see how he could possibly find the way without someone to guide him. He has never been there yet. Well, maybe the girls spotted him on their way up, said Dick. My word, this is a day, isn't it? Nobody knows where Jeff and Ray are, and nobody knows where little Benny is either. I don't call this a very good holiday. Exciting! but decidedly worrying, said Julian. Why do we always run into something like this? We never seem to have a really peaceful time. Dick glanced sideways at Julian and gave a fleeting smile. Would you like a really peaceful time, Jew? he said. I don't think you would. Come on, let's shout again. They came to the camp at last, not having seen a sign of Benny or the pigling. He was not at the camp either, that was quite clear. The girls and Timmy were alone. They were horrified when they were told about Benny. Anne went pale. Let's go and look for him at once, she said. We must. Well, can you make some sandwiches very quickly, asked Dick. We're all hungry and it won't take a minute. We can munch them as we go. Let's make a plan of campaign while you're cutting them. George and Anne set to work with the sandwiches. Anne's fingers were all thumbs. She was so shocked to hear that little Benny was missing. Oh, I hope nothing's happened to him, she said. Missing all the morning, for hours. Poor Mrs. Thomas. The sandwiches are ready, said George. Now, what's the plan, Julian? We all separate, I suppose, and search the hill, shouting all the time. That's it said Julian, beginning on his sandwiches hungrily and slipping some tomatoes and radishes into his pocket. You go round that side, Anne and George, one of you high up on the hill and one lower down, so that your shouts cover as much distance as possible. And Dick and I will do the same on this side. We'll go down to the butterfly farm too, in case he has wandered there. They all set off, and soon the hill echoed to loud shouts. Benny! 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 
Over the heather scrambled the four, with Timmy excitedly leaping about too. He knew that Benny was lost, and he was sniffing for some smell of the small boy, but his sharp nose could find nothing. Julian went to the butterfly farm and searched all about, but there was no sign of the boy there. In fact, there was no sign of anyone, not even old Mrs. Jane's. She had gone off somewhere, and the two men were out butterflying as usual. In fact, George and Anne saw them as they searched their side of the hill and called to them. Have you seen anything of a small boy and a little pig? The two men were curt and unhelpful. No, no sign at all. I suppose they're annoyed because they still think the boys broke the glass of their butterfly house, said George. Well, I wish they would hunt for Benny instead of butterflies. It was two hours before Benny was found, and the five had almost given up looking for him. They had met together as they came round the hill, and were standing in despair, wondering what to do next, when Timmy suddenly pricked up his ears. Then he barked, an excited little bark that said, as plainly as possible, I've heard something interesting. What is it then, Tim? What is it? cried George at once. Go find, go find. Timmy trotted off, his ears well pricked. He stopped every now and again and listened and then went on again. The children listened too, but they could hear nothing. No call, no groan, no whimper. Why? He's going downhill towards the caves, said Julian at last. The caves! Why didn't we think of those? But how could that tiny little fellow have found the way there? It's a long and complicated way from Billycock Farm. He might have followed Curly the pig, said Anne. We always thought that he only pretended that the pig ran away, so that he could wander where he liked and blame it on the pig. But this time, the pig might really have run away. Let's hope it's Benny that Timmy can hear, said Julian. I must say, I can't hear a single sound, and I've got pretty sharp ears. And then, the next minute, they all heard something. A small, tired voice calling high and clear, Curly! Curly! I want you! Benny! yelled everyone, and leapt ahead so fast that the heathery ground shook beneath their trampling feet. Timmy was there first, of course, and when the four children came up, they saw him gently licking the golden-haired little boy, who had put his arms round the dog's neck in delight. Benny was sitting just outside the entrance of the caves, all by himself. His pickling was not there. Benny! Oh, Benny, darling, we found you! cried Anne, and knelt down beside him. He looked up at the others, not seeming at all surprised to see them. Curly runned away, he said. He runned right away. Curly went in there. And he pointed into the caves. Thank goodness you didn't follow him, said George. You might never have been found. Come along, we must take you home. But as soon as she lifted up the child, he began to kick and scream. No, no, I want Curly, I want Curly. Darling, he'll come along when he's tired of the caves, said Anne. But your mummy wants you now, and your dinner is waiting for you. I'm hungry, announced Benny. I want my dinner, but I want Curly too. Curly, Curly, come here. We must take Benny back, said Dick. His mother will be so terribly worried. Curly will eventually come out, if he's got sense enough to remember the way. If not, well, it's just too bad. We daren't go wandering down the unroped paths in case we get lost. Come on, bring Benny, George. Curly will come when he's ready, George said, as she carried the little boy away from the entrance to the caves. But now your mummy wants you, and your dinner's waiting. With Timmy jumping up delightedly beside her, she carried the small boy down the chalky path, talking to him. They were all so thankful to have found him 
that they felt quite cheerful, forgetting Jeff and Ray for a time. They teased little Benny, trying to make him forget his lost pet. Mrs. Thomas was overjoyed to see the small boy again. She cried over him as she took him into her arms. Oh, Benny, Benny, what a bad pair you are, you and your pigling. He runned away, said Benny, of course. He was set down at the table to have his dinner and began to eat very fast indeed because he was so hungry. Everyone sat and watched him, so glad to have him safe again that they hardly took their eyes off him while he gobbled his meal. He finished at last. I'm going to look for Curly, he announced as he got down from his chair. Oh, no, you're not, said his mother. You're going to stay with me. I want you to help me make some cakes. Curly will come home when he's ready. And in an hour's time, when Julian, Dick, Anne, George and Toby were busy at the messy job of cleaning out the duck pond, Curly did come back. He trotted into the farmyard, making his usual funny little squeals, and everyone looked round at once. Curly, you have come back! Oh, you bad little pig! cried George, and Timmy ran up to the pigling and sniffed him and licked him. The pig turned himself round to look for Benny, and Julian laughed. <laughs> Someone's written something on him in black. Come here, Curly, and let's see. Curly trotted over to him, and Julian examined the rather smudged black lettering. Can't make it out, he said. Somebody's printed something on his pink little body. <laughs> Silly thing to do, but it'll wash off. Wait, said Dick sharply as Julian bent to get one of the rags they were using to wash the pigling's body. Wait, I say. Look, isn't that a J and a T? And below those are the letters that look like R and V. No, W, because half that letter has been rubbed off by the heather or something. Now everyone was staring in excitement. J, T and R, W said Toby in a breathless voice. Then it rose to a shout. They stand for Jeff Thomas and Ray Wells. What does it mean? Who put those letters there? There are some more letters, smaller and rather smudged, said Julian. Hold the pigling still, Dick. We must, we must make up what they are. It's some kind of message from Jeff and Ray. The pigling must have been where they are hidden. They all looked earnestly at the smudgy letters, which appeared to be five in number. They were almost unreadable, but Dick's sharp brain got hold of them at last. The word is caves, he said. See, the first letter might be G or O or C, but the third one is certainly V and the last is S. I'm sure it's caves, and that's where Curly went, we know. Phew! That's where Jeff and Ray are hidden then, said Julian. Quite near after all. And we thought they'd been taken away by car and hidden miles away. Quick, where's your father, Toby? Mr. Thomas was found and was shown Curly with the smudgy black letters on his back. He was astounded. So, Curly went wandering in the caves, did he? What a pig he is. Can't keep his nose out of anything. And somehow he went to where Jeff and Ray were. What a strange way to send a message. They could surely have tied one onto his tail or round his neck. These letters are almost unreadable. I nearly washed them off, thinking that somebody had played a silly joke on Curly, said Julian. My word, if I had, we'd not have known where Jeff and Ray were. What shall we do now? Go to the caves at once? Telephone the police? Both, said Mr. Thomas. The police must know, because they're searching everywhere, of course. Now, you start off to the caves. Take a ball of string with you, because Jeff and Ray won't have been hidden in any of the roped tunnels, where sightseers so often go. And without string, you might not be able to find your way back down the unroped ones. You may find that you need to unwind the string in order to get back safely. And take Timmy. He'll be useful. He certainly will said Julian, and we'll take the little pig too, so that Timmy can smell him, 
and then smell the tracks Curly made as he wandered through the caves and follow them. We shan't have to wander all about wondering where Jeff and Ray are then. The five set off at once, with Toby too, all as excited as they could possibly be. Good old Jeff, good old Ray, Toby kept saying. We're coming, hang on, we're coming. Chapter 21 An Exciting Finish Up the heathery hill panted the five children and Timmy. Julian carried the frightened little pig, who was not at all sure what was happening to him. He kicked and squealed, but nobody took any notice of him. He would be of importance when they reached the caves, but not till then. At last they reached the chalky roadway to the caves and pounded along it, the loose bits of chalk flying between their feet. They came to the entrance where the warning notice stood. Timmy, called George, as Julian put down the trembling little pig and held him tightly. Timmy, come here. Smell Curly. That's right. Smell him all over. Now follow. Follow, follow. Smell where he went in the caves and follow Tim. Follow. Timmy knew perfectly well what tracking meant and obediently smelt Curly thoroughly and then put his nose to the ground to follow the scent of the pigling's footsteps. He soon picked it up and began to run into the first cave. He stopped and looked back inquiringly. Go on, Tim. Go on. I know this seems peculiar to you when we've got Curly here, but we want to know where he went, called George, afraid that Timmy might think it was just a silly game and give up. Timmy put his nose to the ground again. He came to the magnificent cave, full of gleaming icicles, the stalactites and stalagmites, some of them looking like shining pillars. Then into the next cave, which, with its glowing rainbow colours, had reminded Anne of a fairyland cave. Then through the next cave they went, and came to the forking of the ways. Here we are, at the three tunnels, said George. I bet Timmy won't go down the usual roped one that all the visitors would take. As she spoke the words, Timmy, nose to ground, still following the scent of the pigling's footsteps, took the left-hand unroped way, and everyone followed, torches shining brightly. I thought so, said George, and her voice began to echo round. Thought so, thought so, so, so. Do you remember those awful noises we heard the other day? That piercing whistling and those howls, said Dick. Well, I bet they were made by the bullies who dragged Jeff and Ray here. I expect they heard Timmy barking. He must have heard the men, probably, though we didn't, and they were scared in case we were coming. So they made those frightful noises to scare us off, and the echoes magnified them horribly. Well, they certainly scared us away, all right, said Anne, remembering. Yes, it must have been those men. There aren't any awful noises today. My word, what a long winding tunnel this is. And look, it's forking into two. Timmy will know which way to take, said George. And of course he did. With his nose to the ground, he chose the left-hand one without any hesitation. You didn't really need to bring a board of string, Julian, said Toby. Tim, you will easily be able to take us the right way back, won't he? Yes, said Julian. He's better than any unwinding ball of string. But without Tim, we'd never find the way back. There are so many caves and so many tunnels. We must be well into the heart of the hill now. Timmy suddenly stopped in his tracking, raised his head and listened. Could he hear Jeff and Ray? He barked loudly, and from somewhere in the near distance came a shout. Hi! Hi! This way! This way! It's Jeff! shouted Toby, dancing in the dark tunnel with excitement. Jeff! Can you hear me? Jeff! And a voice came back at once. Hi! Toby! This way! This way! Timmy ran down the passage and stopped. At first the children could not see why, and then they saw that the passage came to an end there. A blank wall faced them just beyond Timmy, and yet 
Jeff's voice came quite clearly to them. Here we are, here. Why? There's a hole in the floor of the tunnel just by Timmy. Cried Julian, shining his torch in it. That's where Jeff and Ray are. Down that hole. Hey, cousin Jeff, are you down there? Julian shone his torch right through the hole, and there, lying on the floor of a cave below, was Ray, and standing beside him, looking up eagerly, was Jeff. Thank God you found us, he said. Those fellows told us they were leaving us here and not coming back. Ray's got a twisted ankle. He can't stand on it. They pushed us down this hole without any warning, and he fell awkwardly. But with your help, we can get him up. Jeff, oh Jeff, I'm so glad we found you! Yelled Toby, trying to look down into the hole with Julian. What's the best way to get you up? This entrance hole isn't very big. If you can manage to pull me up, that's the first thing to do," said Jeff, considering the matter. Then two of you boys can go down to Ray and help him to stand, and I think I could haul him up. This is an awful place; no outlet except through that small hole up there, which was too high for me to jump up to, and Ray couldn't stand, of course, to help me. There was soon a great deal of acrobatic work on the part of Jeff, Julian, and Dick. The two boys managed to haul up Jeff by lying down on the floor above. And putting their arms and shoulders through the hole to drag him up, Toby and George had to hold onto their legs to prevent them from being pulled into the hole, and Anne had to hold the little pig, which did its best to try and get down the hole too. At last, Jeff was up through the hole, and then the two boys, Julian and Dick, leapt down to Ray. He seemed rather dazed. And Jeff said that he thought he had hurt his head as well as his leg when the men pushed them down the hole. Julian pulled him gently to his feet, and then he and Dick lifted him until he could reach Jeff's swinging hands as he leaned down through the hole. Poor Ray was pulled up at last, and then up went Julian and Dick in the same way. Timmy thought the whole procedure was most extraordinary. And produced volleys of excited barks, scaring the little pig almost out of its skin. Phew," said Jeff, when at last Ray was up and being helped by the others. "I never thought we'd get out of there. Let's get away from this nightmare place as quickly as possible. What we want is a little fresh air and food and water. Those brutes haven't been near us for what seems like weeks." They made their way back to the cave entrance. Timmy leading the way confidently, not even troubling to smell it. He never forgot a path once he had been along it. They came out into the bright June sunshine, and it was so very dazzling to the two men who had been so long in pitch black darkness that they had to shade their eyes. Sit down a bit till you get used to it," said Julian, "and tell us how you wrote your message on the pig." Did he suddenly appear down the hole? Jeff laughed. <laughs> well, he said, there we were down in that awful hole, Ray and I, with no watch to tell us the time, no means of knowing if it was night or day, or even if it was last Thursday or next Monday. And suddenly we heard a pitter pattering noise, and the next thing we knew was that something had fallen down through the hole and landed on top of us. It began to squeal like Billyo, so we guessed it was a little pig. Though why a pig should suddenly descend on us out of the dark tunnel above us, we simply couldn't imagine. Everyone laughed, even Ray. Go on, said Dick. What did you do? Well, we felt the pig all over and knew it was a baby, said Jeff. But it didn't occur to us for some time that we might use it as a messenger. <laughs> That was Ray's bright idea. We could hardly read your message," said Dick. "It was just touch and go that we made it out. I dare say, but when you consider that we had been robbed of everything, even my pencil and pen, to say nothing of my money, my watch and my torch, and Ray's too, and that it was pitch dark in the hole, I'm sure you will agree that we didn't make a bad job of printing that message," said Jeff. "But what did you print it with? If your pockets had been emptied?" Asked George in wonder. 
Well, Ray found a tiny bit of black chalk at the bottom of his trouser pocket, said Jeff. It's chalk we use to mark out our air routes on big maps. And that was all we had to use. Ray held the pigling, and I printed our initials and the word caves on his back. I couldn't see what I was doing in the dark, but I just hoped for the best. Then I stood up and tossed the poor little pig through the hole. It was a jolly good shot, I must say. I heard him scrambling on the edge, and then away he trotted, the finest little pig in the world. Oh, what a tale, said Julian. My word, you're lucky, Jeff, that that pigling came home all right. It's a wanderer, that pig, always running away. And to think that I nearly washed your message off his back before he read it. Phew, it gives me the creeps to hear that, said Jeff. Now, tell me what happened when it was discovered that we'd disappeared from the airfield. Wasn't there an uproar? Rather. You knew your planes were stolen, didn't you? said Dick. I guessed that when I heard two planes take off, just as some great thugs were hauling us up the hill, said Jeff. I heard a dog barking as we were being kicked and dragged up. Was it Timmy? I did hope he would come to our rescue. Oh, yes. That must have been the time when he began to bark that night of the storm, said George, remembering. So it was you and those thugs we heard. Oh, what a pity we didn't know it. Those two stolen planes crashed into the sea during the storm, Jeff, said Toby. The pilots weren't found. Oh, said Jeff, and was silent for a moment. I shall miss my dear old bus. Well, let's hope I get another plane. And Ray, too. Ray, how do you feel now? Can you hobble along again or not? Yes, if the boys can help me as they did just now, said Ray, who was already looking much better since he had been in the open air. Let's get along. It was very slow going, but fortunately the police met them halfway, on their way to the caves. Mr. Thomas had telephoned them, and they had come along immediately. They took Ray in hand, and the little party made better progress. Put that pig down, Anne. You must be tired of carrying it, said Dick. <laughs> you look like Alice in Wonderland. She carried a pig, too. Anne laughed. <laughs> I think it's gone to sleep, just like Alice's pig, she said. And so it had. They were all very thankful when, at last, they arrived at Billycock Farm. What a welcome they had from Mrs. Thomas, her husband and Benny. The little boy dragged his pigling from Anne's arms and hugged it. You run away! You're bad! You run fast! he scolded and set it down. It immediately scampered over to the barn with Benny in pursuit, and Anne went to fetch them back. Now we'll all have tea. I got it ready, hoping that everyone would be back in time from their extraordinary adventures, said Mrs. Thomas. I know Jeff and Ray must be starved. You look quite thin in the face, Jeff. They all sat round the big table, Toby next to his hero, Cousin Jeff. They gazed with pleasure at the food there. Surely never, never had there been such a spread before. Mother! said Toby, his eyes gleaming. Mother, this isn't a meal. It's a banquet. Jeff, what will you have? Everything, said Jeff. Some of every single thing. I'll start with two boiled eggs, three slices of ham, two thick pieces of bread and butter, and some of that wonderful salad. Oh, my word, it's almost worth being down that hole for ages to end up with a feast like this. It was a most hilarious tea, and for once Benny sat at the table throughout the whole meal and didn't slip from his chair to go and find Curly. Why didn't they have parties like this every day? Why, even his father was there, roaring with laughter. What a pity the two policemen hadn't been able to stop the tea, too. Benny had a lot of questions to ask policemen. Where was Timmy? Yes. He was under the table. Benny could feel him with his foot. And yes, Binky was there too, just by Toby. He slid his hand down with a large piece of cake in it, 
and immediately it was taken gently from his hand by a hairy mouth. Timmy was having a wonderful time, too. Everyone was sorry when the grand meal was over. Jeff and Ray now had to report to the airfield, and Mr Thomas offered to take them in his car. The children went to see them off. It will seem awfully dull now up in our camp on the hillside, said Dick. So many things have happened in the last few days, and now nothing will happen at all. Rubbish, said Jeff. I promise you something will happen. Something grand. What? asked everyone eagerly. I shall see that you're all given a free flight in a plane as soon as possible. Perhaps tomorrow, said Jeff. And I shall pilot it. Now then, anyone want to loop the loop with me? What shouts and squeals from everyone? Jeff made a face and put his hands to his ears. Me too, me too, and Curly, came Benny's high little voice. Where is Curly? said Jeff, looking out of the car. I really must shake hooves with him. He's been a wonderful friend to me and Ray. Wherever is he? I don't know, said Benny, looking all round. He must have run away, chorused everyone, and Timmy barked at the sudden shout. He put his paws up on the car and licked Jeff's hand. Thanks, old boy, said Jeff. We couldn't have done without you either. So long, everybody. See you tomorrow. And then, whoops, up in the clouds we'll go. That was Five Go to Billycock Hill by Enid Blyton. Read by Jan Francis. We do hope you have enjoyed listening to this Chivers children's audiobook. For details of other children's recordings, please contact us and we'll be delighted to send you a catalogue listing all our titles, as well as information about our most recent releases. Our telephone number and address can be found on the box cover or catalogue.